Hello, mortals. We are your Valkyries, Miss Darby and Miss Charlie. And we are two space babes honoring our midnight brothers and sisters. For all you Samhain celebrating sex kittens, this episode's for you. We will be discussing our experiences and opinions on sex work art and the erotic taboo counterculture we can't stop talking about. We are currently recording and transmitting this episode from our opulent spaceship of fiendish fun. Welcome to the Babes of Valhalla. Content may not be suitable if you are underaged, closed-minded, or immature. We discuss topics that are graphic and sexual in nature. We just passed Halloween this last weekend, and as two participating witches, we also both celebrated Samhain. Uh, Samhain also nicknamed the Witch's New Year, is a two-day pagan holiday celebrated from October 31st to November 1st that honors the dead, an inevitable, or honors death, an inevitable part of life. It recognizes death on a larger scale as the earth moves from fall into winter, as well as our own personal losses. It's a time to connect to our loved ones that are no longer with us, process the pain of loss, and hold space for our ancestors. On today's episode, we wanted to talk about loss within the sex work community and remember those who have passed this year. While researching, we found it incredibly difficult to find information and news stories on sex workers that were victims of homicide. Most of the search results were about men or patrons that were injured or killed in fights or club shootings. We assume with our audience that we all know that sex workers are more at risk than your average person. In looking for some statistics, the pickings were slim. According to HG.org, prostitution is one of the most dangerous professions in the country, worse than Alaskan fishermen, loggers, or oil rig workers. According to recent statistics, the death rate for prostitutes in the U.S. is 204 out of every 100,000. Also, the average prostitute gets physically but non-lethally attacked approximately once a month. A study on sex work homicides from 2008 shows that uh, women who work on the street are 60 to 100 times more likely to get murdered than those who work in uh, non-street related professions. Uh, in addition, homicides of prostitutes are notoriously difficult to investigate as such many cases remain unsolved. Despite this large risk factor, Little literature exists on homicide of street workers, and there is a basic lack of statistic and knowledge regarding this very specific victim base, which which kind of shows the importance that that is put on sex worker uh, murders. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to discuss a couple different things, a couple different cases and a couple different events that have happened in sex worker history that we thought would be nice to to honor and to commemorate on this episode. Um, the first one that I wanted to talk about was International Day to End Violence Against Sex Workers, which is December 17th. So um, back in 2003, this event started as a vigil that was uh, made to, to commemorate 
sex workers that had been killed by the Green River Killer. Um, I had never heard of the Green River Killer before, which once I researched him, I was actually really surprised I'd never heard of him, considering uh, he is thought to be one of the most prolific killers of like the 80s and 90s, which is insane. Have you ever heard of him before? I think I have heard of him, but I don't think that I know more like I don't think I know like off the top of my head like I know the name sounds familiar but off the top of my head I couldn't like list off a bunch of different things that I know about him versus like other serial killers that I probably yeah like we know we know a lot about Manson um Mm -hmm. even though his his kill list is actually he he never killed anybody and the people that his followers killed their list of, of of victims is quite small and not that that means that it's less important but um the Green River Killer uh, started killing in the 80s and killed all the way possibly to 2001. Mm. And he confessed to 49 murders, but later said that it was probably closer to 70 or more. And that after a certain number of of murders, he just stopped keeping count. Um, But most of his victims were sex workers or runaways and the average age of his victims were 19 years old so it's pretty insane story he started out as a very violent young man and um, as he got older he started uh, obsessing about sex workers specifically he had a sex addiction and he ended up creating this love-hate relationship between sex workers that ended up turning violent and because nobody um, is really searching most the most sex workers are are hard to trace they're hard to because they're they're working outside of the law later in an interview said that they were the easiest for him to pick off and also the easiest for him to direct his his like sexual rage towards they first found evidence of of him possibly being the killer in uh, 1981, which is the year he started killing, which is insane. But they didn't actually have enough evidence to convict him until 20 years later. So if they would have convicted him or, or, or gathered enough evidence in 81, he, he only killed a couple people at that point. Um, but it wasn't until 2001 they were actually able to collect enough evidence to convict him. He was convicted in 2001 and the vigil was held in 2003 to commemorate all of these victims and to remember them and to honor them, but also to call out an end for stigma and hate crimes against sex workers. I wanted to read a a short piece from the actual website. So there was a website created called December 17th and it is a website that is all about collecting the names of victims and collecting the names of those who have passed away in sex work as a way to commemorate them. And they actually have a place that you can enter people's names or, or other events like vigils that you're holding so that it creates a, a remembrance list, which I think is really nice because as you said earlier, it's really hard to find this information and there's not a lot of places where you can find that kind of resource where you can find a collection of names or a, a collection of events that are dedicated to those who have passed. 
So on the website, um, it says, on December 17th, we also renew our commitment to solidarity. The majority of violence against sex workers is not just violence against sex workers. It's also violence against trans women, against women of color, against drugs users, and against immigrants. We cannot end the marginalization and victimization of all sex workers without also fighting transphobia, racism, stigma, criminalization of drug use, and xenophobia. During the week of December 17th, sex worker communities and social justice organizations stage actions and visuals and work to raise awareness about violence that is commonly committed against sex workers. The assault, battery, rape, and murder of sex workers must end. Racism, systems of colonialists, and state violence and oppression must end. The stigma and discrimination, criminalization that makes violence against us acceptable must end. Please join with sex workers around the world and stand against criminalization and violence committed against our community. I just thought I wanted to read it straight from their website. And I, I'm going to do that again later, like read from the website, because I think they, they state it so nicely and really talk about how multifaceted the issue is. Mm -hmm. um, when I went to a sex worker awareness march, they made sure to have people from multiple communities come and be present because it is so multifaceted because sex work is so related to, you know, racism and to sexism and to transphobia mm -hmm. and they're so interlocked that you can't really discuss one without discussing all of them and there's no way to uh i guess to address one without addressing everything i know exactly what you mean and and i mean yeah like that that they're that they're all connected but then also i think that that like shows that sex workers are a part of all of those communities yes so there are so no matter what what grouping there is, there is probably someone who also participates in sex work that is a part of all those different things. So if you are, you know, all about immigrant rights, um, women's rights, all of those things, well, that also includes mm -hmm. sex workers mm -hmm. and so on. Which actually leads me to my next thing I was going to talk about, which is one of the most uh, publicized. Uh, shootings, I think, of 2021 is the Atlanta spa shootings or the Atlanta spa massacres. And while they're not directly related to sex work, there was like a lot of overlapping um, things that happened that relate within sex work and related a lot to, I feel like, to the first thing I was talking about, the man who was killing because of his pent-up sexual anger and pent-up sexual rage and how you find a community to unload that on. And because they are immigrants, because they are sex workers, because they are undocumented or they are overlooked, it ends mm -hmm. up, those become the people where, where the violence ends up falling on. So... On March 16th, 2021, Robert Eric Long drove to three different massage parlors in the Atlantic area, killing eight people, six of which were Asian women of Chinese and Korean descent. They were Xiaoche Tan, Daoyo Fong, Su Chung Park, Su Cha Kim, Yong Ah Yu, and Hyun Jung Grant. Um, so 
it never came out officially whether any of these women were doing additional services, but that he specifically attacked them because he felt like massage parlors for him were a source of sexual. Um, oh, I just lost the word. Uh, frustration. Thank you. Thank you. Of sexual frustration. And so when he was about to, he said he was going to kill himself, but before he did, he wanted to help other people who had that same sense of sexual frustration. And his way of doing that was to take out these environments that he thought were the cause. Well, back in 2003, they had actually pulled multiple sting operations and found people who were offering additional services. And then there was also like a list of like a guide to sex clubs in the area. And all the three parlors were on that guide. Yeah. So it's like it's like pretty likely that all these women or at least most of these women were participating in sex work. Yeah. Or at least their place of work was mm-hmm. participating in sex work, even if these women were not. Mm, yes. Is that that was something that was happening at those massage parlors But I just I found it so interesting that for the most part, that information was really left out of of all of the reports. They like nobody chose to comment on it. And I understand from from the perspective of the victims not wanting to um, stigmatize them or their families by saying that they were sex workers. But there is also an issue where that aspect of of their work of their job of that part of their life was completely overlooked and mm-hmm. i think that a lot of the anti-asian hate movement that came out of it like i understand where that came from but there wasn't really that same anti-sex worker hate movement mm-hmm. that came out of it where the majority of why he targeted them when they questioned the killer afterwards, they said, did you target these women because of their age and heritage? And he said, no, I targeted them because they're sex workers. I targeted them because they worked at a place of work where that I associate with sex work and I associate with sexual frustration. And that's why I chose to target them. And I I just found, I thought when I first heard the story and that that, is what, that was his statement, I thought that that was going to be talked about more. Just like the issues around that, but that, that aspect was, was really ignored mm-hmm. within the media. Um, yeah, most of what we saw was all about, yeah, stop Asian hate. Um, mm-hmm. And there wasn't, mm-hmm. the conversation wasn't about sex work when those of us in the sex work community were viewing it as like, this was a crime against sex workers. Yes. Not necessarily uh, just because, like you said, yeah, of their Asian heritage. And, and you know, a lot of these things are interlocked. Mm-hmm. The fact that, that they are, you know, immigrants coming over into this country and working at, an, at a parlor, like they're, they're all interlocked within itself, but mm-hmm. that, then, the, then they should all be addressed as well. Yeah. We shouldn't pull them apart and say, oh, well, he was only looking at the fact that they were Asian or only looking at the fact that they were immigrants, you know, when when the fact that they worked at a massage parlor was so intertwined with his reasons for shooting up these specific places. Mm -hmm. There is a website called Red Canary Song 
had been posting a lot online on social media right after the um the murders and red canary's song is a grassroots massage worker coalition that organizes in the united states but also organizes transnationally with asian sex workers across the diaspora in toronto paris and hong kong mm. and they're really about bringing representation and a voice to uh this group of people that often are ignored and you know there's they they try to bring up the point that oftentimes um, nonprofit organizations that are anti-trafficking end up bringing more immigration and policing um, control into areas that end up harming rather than helping sex workers, which is something that we see quite often is is sex trafficking ending up um, turning on the people that it's supposed to help the most mm-hmm. and. The Red Canary song was started after a young woman uh, ended up jumping to her death in an attempt to escape a police raid on a massage parlor. And um, the idea was that she felt like she would be safer, possibly risking her life and jumping rather than facing the police. Mm. And so the Red Canary song is all about really speaking up for this community that 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 feels you know as immigrants as possibly undocumented workers and as sex workers they have so many things working against them that they have no support and no voice within the community and the red canary song uh wrote this about the atlanta shootings and i was just going to read it The media coverage that examines the racist and sexist motivations of the killings as independent of each other failed to grasp the deeply connected histories of racialized violence and paternalistic rescue complexes that inform the violent experience by the Asian massage workers. We see the effort to invisibilize these women's gender, labor, class, and immigration status as a refusal to reckon the legacy of the United States imperialism and as a desire to collapse the identities of migrant Asian women, sex workers, massage workers, and trafficked survivors. The women who were killed face specific racialized gendered violence for being Asian women and massage workers, whether or not they were actually sex workers or self-identified under that label. We know that as massage workers, they were subjected to sexualized violence stemmed from the hatred of sex workers, Asian women, working class women and immigrants. It's a really nice way to sum up what I was trying to say, which is that whether or not these women were sex workers, whether they identified as sex workers, whether their place mm-hmm. of work dealt with sex workers, the issue was that all of those identities are intertwined and that when that person came to attack them, that's what they were looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they, I think they said it really yeah, well. Yeah, I think they said it Yeah, that it, really was, well. it was coming from a place of hate of a lot of different... Uh, groupings mm-hmm. of people and that all those groups are important because they all had I mean they all were the reason why yeah it wasn't just it wasn't flattened 
Exactly. And it's, it's very, it's, it's a, it's a complex identity that oftentimes is not looked as such. It's only looked through like one specific lens. Yeah. And I think it's probably harder to come up with like a catchy slogan for a poster that encapsulates <laughs> like the big picture. Yeah. So I think that like, I mean, it's, it sucks, but like for the sake of like probably, you know, marketing all different things that it, people just flatten it down. And that's, that, that doesn't really give the right picture. It doesn't send the right message because it's just buzzwords. And yeah, totally. It's not the whole Completely. story. And I don't know what the solution to that is. Um, but I guess if there even is just a conversation about it, that's not just existing within or between other sex workers. I feel like right. sex workers are having a different conversation about these types of, you know, attacks and homicides about these deaths that are not happening like in the news or in the general public where I wish that there was more crossover, you know, where the conversation was at least sort of bleeding into the other side. Yeah. And for me, that's where I feel like the media coverage was where that could be discussed. Mm -hmm. And that's where it was just completely glossed over. Yeah. That seems like a great platform to really bring up all those issues and to talk about it more in depth, even if it's like you said, it's not like a catchy, a catchy slogan. It's, uh, it's accurate at least. Yeah. And then it's like, well, you know, sometimes we have to say one thing so that we can, so that we can create, create a movement, but then there needs to be another space for the conversation behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there Currently, or I guess more like in September, there's been a series of attacks on on sex workers in the St. Louis area. And there was a quote from oh, the founder from Healing Actions, which is an organization to help survivors of sexual exploitation. And she said, just because you're involved with sex work doesn't mean that you deserve to be attacked, beaten or raped. You deserve to be safe. And I thought that this was such a an interesting way of it's like she's explaining to the public because I know that probably as the founder of an organization aimed at helping people your 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 view would not be that simplistic but I feel like she really is trying to simplify that concept for like the general public Mm -hmm. of like hey guys just so you know sex workers don't deserve to be raped beaten and attacked I'm just I'm I, I don't know it it surprised me with like how simplistic the statement was and yet how it kind of shows how people in general view sex workers and violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like you have to like for us, we're like, well, yeah, duh. But for somebody mm-hmm. else, they'd be like, oh, well, what do you mean? Like you can't rape a prostitute. And you're like, excuse me? Yeah. Like that but that's so I mean, common. We hear like we hear ignorant comments and remarks like that all the time. And like it's just, you know, when you when you're in the lap dance room and someone's paying for your time, but then they're you're telling them, Hey, you know, that's not okay and they're like, Oh, well, I I bought a dance or I paid for it and you're like, No, you didn't pay to abuse or harass or like make me uncomfortable. That's not what you paid for. But people kind of assume that when they're paying for your body or your physical energy, your time like that, that that means that you, they can do or act in whatever way they want. And it's, it's not, you're paying for a service 
that I choose mm-hmm. how that's going down or we can to talk about it. Yeah. But yeah, there's like an ownership that comes like they're buying you or they're, you know, I don't know, but yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and 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 that 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 should give them the ability to do whatever they want mm-hmm. and for the most part, I think because violence against sex workers is so common mm-hmm. that it's also the general public's completely desensitized. It's yeah. like, oh, well, it's probably a dead hooker, mm-hmm. you know, because that's that's the joke or that's the punchline or that's the the expectation is that if you are a person, especially somebody who's working in the streets, that you are gambling with your life mm-hmm. constantly. Yeah, you're choosing and a high that's risk part occupation. Of the risk. Yep, exactly. You're choo- exactly. You're choosing a high risk occupation, so you kind of get what you get what you deserve or well you you're ta- like you said you're taking the risk so so sad i guess like and it's just yeah it's not it's kind of seen as yeah. more like flippant whereas like if a school teacher was like brutally raped and murdered people would be freaking out but if it's you know the girl who works the corner they're just like or a stripper or whatever they're like oh yeah. well she's probably just a drug addict she was probably just blah 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 mm-hmm. and it's or, or even somebody in like a really high, high risk situation. Mm-hmm. If there was somebody who was a, a guard at a prison mm-hmm. and you heard the same thing happen to them, you know, yeah, It'd people be- would still be horrified, but there could be somebody who's, you know, doing, I mean, it's interesting cause we call it, you know, an honest day's work if it's considered legal, but the only thing that makes it illegal is that our our justice system has deemed it illegal like there's nothing i was i mean this is a little bit off topic but i was talking to somebody recently who had met a bunch of people who were now legally growing pot and now are seen as kind of these great american businessmen and uh most of them used to be illegal drug dealers back in the day but one law has now completely changed how they're viewed in society. Mm-hmm. Now they're helping the economy. Now they're working within, you know, our consumerist, you know, uh, culture. And, and, and now they're a fantastic part of, of, of the United States. But only, only very, very recently has that change been made. And it's only because a law has changed that we completely value something that we saw as like a degenerate <laughs> you know, ten, five, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sex works the same thing. It's like because there's a law in place, you can easily sweep so much under the rug when at the end of the day, these are just people working and they're not hurting anybody. Um, but it's a legal issue, so you can ignore it. Yeah, that's true. It just can get swept under the rug of like, well, they're doing something illegal, so they must be a bad person. Exactly. Yeah. So... Well, while we've been talking about kind of the loss of women in the community um, on like a large scale, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about on like a small scale because probably most of us who work in sex work have experienced like losing, you know, the deaths of people that we either knew closely or even the people that we just worked with. Um, Maybe we didn't know them very well personally, but it does kind of feel like death is I mean it it happens in anyone's life but it does seem like sometimes it can be more common and also not really dealt with in 
our club kind of setting or between like within our community um, on an individual level, I guess, um, or on a small scale level. So during this last year in the club that I work at, we lost three different women and I'm just going to use their dancer names because, um, you know, we're not here to out anybody, but their names were Natalia, Russia and Felicia. And I'd worked with two out of three of them for years since I started at the club that I worked at. And then Russia was newer. I'd only worked with her for about a month. But we all kind of know how like working in sex work, working in like a club environment, like all just any of those types of things, like because it can be sort of like intense and there's it can be traumatizing or it can be awesome and there's lots of highs and lows it can also be like something that really bonds you even with people that you don't necessarily like you still feel like a solidarity in the community with them and it was weird we lost all of them in about a four month period um and there was not the club didn't say anything our managers didn't talk to us at all and we're a really small club we have the same you know, set of like 30 girls that kind of like are always there, have been there for a long time. And then we kind of have new girls that are kind of in and out. But like these are girls that have worked there before I ever worked there. And I've been there almost five years. So it they were part of our community. I mean, they had regulars, customers like, you know, felt like they knew them. Like we felt like we knew them. And our management never said anything. There was never a sign in the dressing room. There was never like information about funeral services or anything. And like, we don't necessarily always know like their real names. That's kind of like part of the industry. Is that a not as, as, is that a anonymity or anonymity? But at the same time, I don't know if it felt weird. There wasn't a conversation at all between the club and us about it. Even like, you know, these were all unfortunately like drug related, um, deaths, mm. And there wasn't even a conversation of, hey, if any of you guys are struggling with this, like, please let us know, you know, or here's a bunch of resources if you're having a difficult time or like any sort of, I don't know, like kind of checking in with us. There was a lot of girls who were really close with them that were definitely like more traumatized than like I was. I would say that I was just really sad. And it was, I mean, it was just, yeah, it was a, it was just, it was just sad. But then also weird to come back to work and everything management is kind of acting like it's normal, but all the employees, you know, or the dancers and the employees, bouncers, DJs were down about it. Yeah. Um, and we were all talking about it. And so like, of course the information circulates, you know, Oh, here's her funeral service. Like here's this, here's that. But I kind of felt like there should have been something, I guess, for management. Um, <clears throat> sorry. I have like, <clears throat> a frog in my throat. Let me get a drink really quick. Sorry, I have it right next to me. No, you're you're good. Dun, you're dun, good. Dun, dun, dun. All right, it's better. Anyways, um, and then there, a lot of us were having conversations about wanting to mourn them, but also not feeling like we were necessarily like it was appropriate or that we were welcome to maybe go to like their family's services for them. Because mm, they don't, mm -hmm. they don't know us. Like we're just girls they worked with. We don't know like if their parents and their family members even knew or how they would feel about right. it or what do you say? Like, oh, I knew your daughter, Natalia. I didn't know, you know, her, her government name. Um, I didn't, you know, I don't know. It's, it was that weird thing and we all wanted to do something, but 
I don't know. There was like a weird kind of sense of like the club environment sort of of like, yeah, that's really sad. Uh, so let's like keep it moving. And I don't think mm. that the rest of us, I don't know there. I know that the management necessarily is necessarily not that management is necessarily responsible for that. Like creating a, I mean, if it was me, obviously I would have a meeting or send out a memo or put a sign up or, you know, try to send out information or even be like, Hey, we just had three women pass away. Um, if you guys want to donate to like this foundation or this, like whatever in their name, you know, we can do that together as a club, yeah. like something that I felt like we could do something. And there wasn't, there wasn't any of that. So we kind of, I know that when this was going on and I'd kind of mentioned this uh, to you, Charlie, like we had talked about how we liked the idea of like honoring those that had passed like on a personal level because their identity is, I mean, I don't know if this is like cheesy, but like we all have multiple identities. We kind of have this like split, not personality, but we have, you know, who we are as Susan and who we are as Cinnamon and they're similar, but they're also different. And like, we only, if we're working with women in the industry, we kind of get to see more often than not kind of their work ego or their work personality. And so I don't think their families are necessarily mourning the loss of the P the woman, the same woman that I knew. Mm, mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. No, that, that, that completely makes sense. I think like the idea of showing up to like their wake is in that same feeling where you're you're kind of mourning two separate people in a way mm -hmm. because those lives were kept for the most part those lives are kept very separate from each other and um it's just unfortunate that like I can't imagine a coworker passing if I was working at any of the places that I have worked outside of outside of sex work and them not at least holding like a moment of silence mm -hmm. you know or, or or something or saying like hey if any of you guys are having a hard time with like yeah they're passing like please come and talk to us or you know let's stick together like we're gonna get through this like yeah just even like talking about a conversation it at all. Exactly. exactly yeah yeah i can't imagine there not being a conversation um but it's just i don't know I, it's, it's weird because sometimes clubs can feel like families and we even just had a meeting yeah. recently with our manager that where he was like, you know, we used to feel like a family and I don't feel like we feel like a family anymore. And I was in the meeting kind of laughing about it. Like, it's funny that he would say, oh, we used to be a family or we I want that family environment in our club because, you know, we've had a lot of loss in the last year. Not even not like just within not just these three girls, but especially like definitely them. But then mm -hmm. also like we had a dancer whose husband like like tragically passed away in a car accident that she was also in and she couldn't work for three months because she was in like the ICU for a while. She was like all broken up from this car accident. She lost like 50% of like her household income with her husband's death. And we were all, the girls were trying to be like, well, how can we help her? You know, mm -hmm. she has a daughter, like what can we do to help her? And management just kind of like didn't have anything to say about it. And like, well, if she's your family, yeah. You would you would you would talk about, hey, do you guys want to donate? Let's like get a gift card together. 
let's like, you know, I don't know. It, it's weird because I feel like, yeah, if it had happened in an office, people would yeah. have been like, we're going to send flowers. We're going to get a fruit basket together for Janet. At the minimum. At the minimum. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, at the minimum. But they you know, treat you... women like these women in the industry or people that are in the industry as if they're, you know, they're just replaceable. And it didn't, yeah. you know, it, it didn't matter. And I just, I don't know. It's a, it's a bummer. I'd like to try to find a way to like change that culture. Um, yeah. But it, it is a lot of work and it does feel like sometimes there's a lot of mistrust between dancers or between people in the industry and also between like management situations. Yeah. I don't know. There's some of that because maybe that well, makes it I more difficult. I, I, I would, I would agree. I think in some ways you're very close to some people and in other ways you don't know them past the person you see in the dressing room, mm-hmm. you know? And I think the, you can definitely have coworkers you don't know as well, but I think that strip clubs environments, they're, you're, there's a lot of cycling through people. There's a lot of faces that you only see once. There's a lot of extreme personalities. And sometimes it, I mean, strip clubs can definitely like that environment can bring people together, but it can also create like a very difficult environment to work with other people in. Yeah, that's very true. Like we've definitely worked in places where there was heavy fighting, mm-hmm. where there was, you know, extreme violence. Um, just because the nature of like the work sometimes just that, that just can happen. Um, so it also does make it difficult when you're trying to do things that are like these really personal, close, uh, things, I don't know, personal, close, like events where you're, you're trying, you're trying to kind of reach past what you see day to day and do more but i i i think it's it's healthy to try mm-hmm. you know you don't have to get along with everybody you work with but we should still care and and honor those who who need our help and those who have who have passed away yeah no i agree i agree and i think it would be nice to i don't know to try to help create community and like, and like emphasize the solidarity that we inevitably feel as sex workers and yeah. kind of put aside, yeah, like our weird petty things that just happen with working with other people. Absolutely. Yeah. So to close our episode, Charlie and I wanted to read a ritual honoring all those in our industry that have crossed the veil and blessing those of us still on the earthly plane. Blessed be the season of Samhain, the time of the wise crone goddess the night of the death of the god, the night to celebrate the nearness of the spirit world. It is the season of our ancestors, of our glorious dead, to those who have fallen and crossed over the veil from this world to the next. It is time for us to honor them and pay tribute. Whoever you may be in in life, tonight, now, in death, you are ours as you watch from the other side. Spirits, guests from the place beyond, it is time. We honor you and celebrate you, though we may not know who you are or your name in life. Now it is time for you to move on. Go back to the place where you came, to the place to which you belong as one of our beloved dead. Go back, knowing this night you are honored and remembered. Farewell to the season of summer. Welcome the season of winter. 
May those of us that remain on this earthly plane have good health, prosperity, and happiness. May we always be strong in body, mind, and spirit. The wheel of the year has turned. The harvest has come again. We stand before the thin veil, before the gates that divide the worlds. The triple goddess has guided our steps, heard our desires. The triple god has protected us with his sword, guided our steps, and heard our desires. For this we give them honor and love. The circle is open, but unbroken. Blessed be. Blessed be. Well, that is it. Thank you so much for joining us in honoring our brothers and sisters that have crossed over. We hope all of our fellow cosmic babes enjoyed a safe and spooky Samhain this year. And in the meantime, to soothe your aching loins, you can find us on Instagram at Babes of Valhalla. If you would like to email us or call in with an antidote for an upcoming episode, check out our social media for the themes we are currently researching and send your comments and stories to babesofvalhalla at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, stay nasty. Babes of Valhalla is written and produced by the Babes of Valhalla, otherwise known as your illustrious lieges, Darby and Charlie. Music provided by the musical genius, Gemini Genesis.